we might shift our emphasis from the claims to objectivity and the interrelationship between objectivity and subjectivity to an area of knowledge production which might be traditionally seen, even in the contemporary world too, seen as being much more associated with subjectivity, which is religion and religious knowledge, where we look at the ways in which religious knowledge is produced and the ways in which we can find out about it. Surely religious knowledge is something which is very different from scientific knowledge. Certainly the common sense view might be that these were associated for religion with subjectivity and for science with objectivity. Russell, you're also a licensed lay minister in the Church of England and star of Thought for the Day on Radio 4. We know, we know a bit, and you've written also, about the relationship between science and religion and about religious knowledge. Do you think that religious knowledge is separate and distinct from scientific knowledge? And also, what do you think is the status of religious knowledge in relation to scientific knowledge? I think it depends on how you approach religious knowledge. Uh, the way I see it is that there are two quite distinct ways of doing it. A, a lot of people look to Holy Scripture. It might be the Quran, it might be um, the Torah or, or, or the Bible. And they, they see that as being the word of God. Or they, they might follow a particular guru or some kind of prophet. And their starting point is that this man has got a hotline to God and therefore this is the authority and therefore all statements must be tested against what we find in this particular set of writings. Now, if that is your approach, then that, of course, is totally different to anything that is found in scientific knowledge. You know, we, we do not accept authorities in the past of that kind. But there is a second approach to religious knowledge, which is one that I follow, which resonates much more closely with scientific knowledge, and that is to say that the God hypothesis, if you like, is something that we explore to see whether it is the best explanation of our experiences of life. I think I can't put it better than George Fox, who was one of the founding members of the Quaker movement. He said, I came to know God experimentally. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, First of all, there is religious experience, the inner experience of the presence of God. You feel that in prayer you are confronted by someone who is other than yourself, a great power, a numinous power. Answers to prayer, that you pray for things, and they, they seem to be uh, under certain circumstances uh, granted. You ask for guidance, and you might have been wrestling with a problem and not getting anywhere, and you take it to, to God in prayer, and suddenly the answer comes to you, and you think, well, that seems to have come from outside. Where did that come from? So you, you get this sort of this subjective feeling that you are being confronted by a source of wisdom other than, than yourself. You can also look to the physical world. Uh, there are claims of, of, of miracles, of course. One doesn't have to accept all the miracles in, in, in the Bible because people in those ancient times uh, took a particular delight in tales of wondrous happenings. But you know, today you get uh, stories about people recovering from illnesses as, as a result of prayer. You also have evidence of the kind where you look at the universe and you discover that if the laws of nature had been thrown together completely at random, you know, if the universe had spontaneously created itself with a completely random set of laws, then the chances of, of having life developing anywhere within that universe uh, would be virtually zero. 
It seems as though the conditions that we find in this universe are incredibly fine-tuned to the subsequent development of life. Freeman Dyson, a, a very famous physicist, uh, once said, the universe knew that we were coming. Now, you can answer that by saying, well, perhaps there are an infinite number of universes and they're all run on different lines and there are just a few freak universes which happen purely by chance to have the right conditions. And we, being a form of life, have to find ourselves in a freak universe. That is certainly a way of countering what we call the anthropic principle, which is this fine-tuning of, of our universe to life. But another explanation is that uh, the universe is a put-up job. It was designed with life in mind. So that is another indication. Yet another is to look back over the course of history, the history of the Israelites, for example. People would say that they could discern the hand of God operating there. One can look back over the course of one's own life and see a pattern emerging when you have surrendered yourself to, to the teachings of God. Then... Um, you see that things do go well. So I would say that when you look at the whole panoply of various indications, both internal and, and external, the God hypothesis makes a lot of sense. It, and that's a kind of an experimental approach, which is very similar to what I do in science. One of the things that I think is very interesting in what you said is you were talking about, in a sense, the foundation for knowledge and going back to what you said in the beginning about observation and experiment being the foundations for science. You were talking about a foundation for knowledge in terms of your own inner experience. But in practice, people have seen that as very different, a subjective foundation for knowledge in terms of inner experience as opposed to an external observation of the physical world or experimentation kind of approach. And I think one of the issues that brings out that's very important important is that we need a kind of epistemic diversity. We need a diversity of different kinds of ways of knowing. And one of the problems that's existed certainly in the social sciences and also in the natural sciences is a tendency to try to reduce all kinds of knowledge to a single kind of knowledge to say we have one basic way of knowing and we can elaborate it, refine it, add to it and know all these other things, a sort of hierarchy of the sciences that starts with physics, works up through chemistry and biology, gets to the social sciences eventually. Works down. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it works up. Absolutely. And what you're talking about instead here seems to me to be more like a patchwork. So rather than a sort of a, a wall where you're building up or building down, you have a kind of putting different kinds of knowledge together and different kinds of foundations for knowledge together. And each keeps their own individuality but when they're put together, there's something more than they are on their own. Yes, I, I think the situation is actually quite complicated. Like, for example, uh, when one thinks about religious experience, one thinks of that as being purely subjective. Now, I don't see it like that. In a sense, yes, it's subjective in as much as you can't have my religious experience. It's something private to me. But you can have your own religious experience and we can compare religious experiences. And when you find that millions and millions of people are saying that their religious experience is exactly the same as of other people, then that is a kind of objectivity. When you get rogue results, when someone comes up with a really bizarre kind of internal experience, then you can say, well, nobody else gets that kind of experience. That is a kind of rogue result, which is the sort of thing that happens in, in objective science. You do sometimes get totally rogue results, and you just have to set them aside and say, well, we've just got to go with the general pattern that's going on here. So religious experience is actually about collective action and even collective agency. 
not just about subjective and individual experience. That's right. And it's not just religious knowledge. You know, if you look at um, uh, psychology, both uh, Sigmund Freud and Carl Jung regarded psychology as a science because they objectively looked at a whole range of people's experiences, reported experiences. Okay, the, you didn't actually feel them yourselves, but reported experience, and they saw these various patterns emerging as as a, as a general rule, and they felt that that was indeed a basis for a psychological science. Yes, actually, this is very interesting because it seems to me to be going back to the kind of debates that were happening in the early 19th century in the sciences, where science was very open and contained a lot of different kinds of knowledges, and there was a real sense of sort of excitement about it, which was lost during the sort of next hundred years as science seemed to narrow its focus. I think it's quite exciting the way that it's opening out again. Yes, indeed. From the Open University. For more information, go to www.open.ac.uk/use.